So, we welcome a brand new decade, Ruthie. Yes. It's Ruthie, uni, uh, dad and me. No uni at the moment, uh, obviously. And uh, as it's a new decade... Happy New Year. It's yeah, January Happy the new 1st. Year, all that. We're recording this on January the 1st. That's how dedicated we are. As it's a new decade, if you look back and try and think what marks it out, I would say... I know exactly what you're going to say. Go on, then. Dating apps. It's the decade of dating. And Don't the, question why I know exactly what it is. And the reason, say. I'll tell you what it is. We, <laughs> this, is the, this is the second go. Very, very rarely do we do a retake. Uh, but we tried to... When, when you've got magic, just pres- straight away. Yes. This is the second time we've, we've done this. We were hoping to get you a brand new uh, podcast out there for, uh, for the new year, or at least for shortly after Christmas. Uh, but we had a technical problem, didn't we? Had technical difficulties. So we did it again and trying to be as funny as we were the first time but you're quite right what i said last time and i still say is uh, what marks out the decade that we're just saying goodbye to is the fact that uh, tinder started in 2012 which i can't get over yeah. like it feels like it's been around so much longer well it doesn't and, well, i guess it's because it's had such a monumental impact and when you look back at the 2010s are we calling the decade the 2010s? I think we probably are. Go for that. Yeah. So if you look back at the 2010s... I mean, we are calling it that. <laughs> there was all sorts of stuff happening in the 2010s, the referendum and all sorts of things like that. But dating, I've got three daughters. Wait, I have sisters. Yeah. <laughs> I know you don't notice them because it's all about you. But the other two girls, both millennials, they're both going out with guys that they met on Tinder. Uh, and it's no, no not, big not deal. Tinder, but... Sorry? Was it Tinder or was it uh, other, I online think dating? I, uh, one of them was Bumble and the other maybe was Tinder. Yeah, so they've both met their boyfriends on online dating apps. Uh, and in my day, that was... We didn't have online dating, obviously, but... Uh, meeting, had equivalents. We but had it the equivalent. Was, it was that small ads in the newspapers and things. Mm. And that was considered an admission of defeat, really. If, if you if you met, Yeah, it was like... I've seen it in films where it's like the lonely, kind of lonely almost well, creepy lonely, lonely hearts, hearts club. Yeah. But it's not that at all. I mean, a lot of people use it, you know, if they travel a lot, just as a way of meeting up with people and stuff, which you would never have... No, never previously seen. No, if you put in a small ad to meet people, it was one way of uh, doing dating. But now Mm. it is the way. Is it a good thing? Do you think? I think it probably might might be positive. I think it is, and it isn't. Like obviously, everyone wants to have a uh, the the meet cute lives on you know in films have you heard of this the meet cute meet cute that's what they call it in like romantic comedies and stuff oh meet cute meet cute well I thought you said a meet cute and I was uh, thinking of perhaps during hard times in Russia where people would uh, queue up it would be uh, it would have been quite a jump for me to just start talking about sort of communist era Russia yeah that's what I thought you were talking about meet cute it would be weird wouldn't it it would be weird so meet cute meet cute everyone wants a story where they're they can say, oh, we met on the first day of university. And when Harry met Yeah, Sally. when Harry met Sally, we met 10 years ago and then mm. bumped into each other again. You know, everyone wants that and stuff. But That's out of date now. You I don't know, think it's out of date. Like, is... I think it's still what people would still want. And I mean, it does happen for some people. But then I also think there's nothing wrong with kind of, especially when you're a bit older, where it's not, there's not so much of a, like a hookup culture. I guess it takes some of the the mystery out of it. And romance. And romance, yeah. But then also, like, we say stuff is like less romantic, like... Fewer. 
no, no. <laughs> uh, we, we say stuff is like less romantic. The whole thing about dating, it's moved on through the years. Mm. Um, for instance, we went to see Little Women. Great new version. I've of been seeing it twice. You've seen it twice. Absolutely. I would literally, I would go and see it again. I absolutely loved it. I okay. thought it was brilliant. So it's a great new version of uh, Little Women, uh, Greta Gerwig's version, which we went to see. And if you look at dating them, which would be the late nineteenth century American Civil War, eighteen sixty-eight, I believe, eighteen sixty-eight American Civil War era, it was completely different, wasn't it? Mm. Because in those days, your family really sorted yeah. someone out. It was an economic proposition, which is what she yeah. calls it, or whatever. I mean, there was still romance to some marriages, but I don't think it was as much. I guess that was also because of all the things that were tied to marriage. But yeah, it was kind of arranged and you married within your social class and there was all the etiquette around balls and stuff. But I just think that these things like change, like um, I was... Um, when you say the etiquette around balls, you obviously mean mm, the dances and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Not balls, like... No. No. Oh, <laughs> Dad! I didn't even see... I didn't even think that. I just meant no. a ballroom. Yes, ballroom. Oh. Uh, but then I was writing the other day, because I was writing some stuff about kind of all the etiquette around sort of messaging on Snapchat and um, who reads whose message first and uh, popping up to people's stories and all that kind of stuff. And then I was thinking, it is just like all those, you know, when women used to use a fan to like signal different things. It's just basically Did the same know? thing. What did they use the fan to signal? It, there was a Horrible Histories episode. Uh, right. That's how I know this. <laughs> And so they, they would, like, if they were holding it close to their body or, like, further away, it would gesture different things to a man oh, to say, like, nice. I'm interested in you or I'm not interested in you or whatever, mm. which is essentially the same thing. I think, like, the way we do stuff changes, but all of the feelings are the same. Yeah. I mean, all of the it, romance is just different. Absolutely. And I think this piece that I read said, uh, you know, it was actually in favour of the online dating mm. thing, saying it just sort of widens the pool mm. of uh, people that you can date, which has been happening over the years. In the 1890s, there was a great change because the bicycle was invented. Uh, and I thought, wow, bicycle, what's that got to do with dating? Mm. And the point was that, you know, if you read Jane Austen and everything, people would, uh, you know, women would get married to the local vicar. And once mm. the bicycle was was invented they could cycle to another parish and get married to another vicar a different yeah. vicar sort of thing so that widened it and then you know travel and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah I mean, people don't just stay in their hometowns now, which is one of the huge things that's changed dating. Before we leave uh, dating altogether, I think this could be true. The difference in uh, online profiles and everything, the difference in dating between yourself, Gen Z, and your two sisters and your brother, all millennials. I have a brother. <laughs> all millennials. It was a report by Tinder. It says, looking back over trends from uh, Tinder users in the past year has revealed that Generation Z, those aged from 18 to 24 years, that's you, uh, prefer their dates to have a passion for climate change rather than uh, a thirst for adventure and exotic holidays. So basically millennials would post pictures of the best beach in Thailand and all that sort of stuff and that would attract other people to them. But it says uh, Gen Z users are much more likely to mention uh, a cause or a mission that they're passionate about on their profile than older generations. Uh, millennials those born between 1982 and 1995 were three times as likely to talk about travel rather than causes. So do you think you're more socially responsible? I think probably the millennials. But, and then there's also like a thing of like, it's, it's activism. And usually people who are younger are more interested in that anyway. 
um, and we've probably not been to as many exotic places or whatever but I also do think that's a bit of a stretch to say that Gen Z daters are more interested in people who have a passion for climate change I don't think it's massively true And while we're on the subject of dating, you have this thing at university at your uni. Obviously, you're, you're on your huge long break at the moment, but you're still checking. Uh, it doesn't feel huge and long. It feels dwindling, well, dwind- well, scarily. It's dwindling. You've got a few days left to do a bit of work. But um, you, you've still been looking at your crush, which is mainly so a, mainly for this. I've, I don't check it when I'm not there. I think that um, would. I don't want to be painted as some sad. Mm. lonely scrolling through facebook person mm. but yeah i've have got a your crush for you so this is from the 22nd of december because that was the latest update yeah um and it says casey i know you're a beanock so i'm several social classes below you but give me a chance this christmas so tell me what a beanock is how, how do you spell beanock you see you could have looked really down with the kids and just said what it was yeah because i know <laughs> we've done it before yeah, tell me what a beanock is um so it's b-n-o-c so it's an acronym, and it stands for Big Name on Campus. Well, we're talking about the uh, report from uh, Tinder. There's another report, which is from the Department of Education, which is probably slightly more credible source than Tinder. And this says the gap between the proportion of well-off and poorer children going to university has grown to its widest in more than 10 years, figures show. The headline of the story, student wealth divide is the biggest in uh, over a decade. So what... So is that saying that the richest students are much richer than the poorest ones or that there's more rich students than poor there's more rich students. So basically what it's saying is universities spend about £66 million a year on attempts to widen participation and attract students from more diverse backgrounds but basically it's not working is what they're saying and I'm just wondering at York University does it seem to you that most people are from you know fairly comfortable yeah I think so and I would say so and then also there's still the people who are I mean there's lots of working class people who go to university and I've seen that at uni I think but there's uh, not... Your, your uni? Yeah, yeah. uni. Because I think there are, like... we talked about... Working, I know you met someone from Scunthorpe. <laughs> that was a comment on Scunthorpe, not on <laughs> not on the university. But I got the impression from that that, that most people seem I think to most be more people or less seem from to your be, background. Yeah. I think there's still very few people who are from backgrounds in which it would have been out of the realms of possibility that someone would go to university. So how, if it's, if the Department of Education are saying, I'll I'll read you what their conclusion was to this. A Department for Education spokesman said, uh, institutions must continue to take steps to level the playing field uh, for those from disadvantaged backgrounds and other underrepresented groups. Mm. We want access and participation to improve across all ages, not just young people. It seems to me, so they want more older people as well, and they've also, somewhere in the report, they've talked about people from other ethnic groups the biggest increase in the proportion going to university uh, was among black pupils so that's gone up but not from uh, low-income backgrounds not from low-income backgrounds and not from uh, sort of older people of different ages i think the problem is that they're talking about um changing like the institution but i think it has to come much earlier than that i think if someone gets to the age of 18 and they don't go to university they've already made up their mind that they're not going to university when they were 12 do you know what I mean? Like, you either grow up thinking I'll go to university usually, or you, or at least I have the option there, or you grow up thinking 
I won't be going to university. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it has to start when you're... It has to start with better education. Yeah. And, and, and also better education people... and, and more egality in schools and stuff, like... Or equality. The problem, what did I say? Egality. You were moving into the French. You're thinking is that, French no, that's, is that not an English word, though? Egality? It, no, it's... Oh. Egality, fraternity, mm. and the other thing. But I also think the problem is when you go into schools is you talking to everybody. They need to, if you're starting when it's when you're twelve years old anyway, it, there needs to be specific targeting and specific help for those students in order to make it equal. Like you can't just say, "Oh, we'll make this have equality." Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, as long as you have university fees as well, it is mm. some people. Oh yeah, and it's perfectly valid to make the decision that money isn't going to help me. Mm. I, I should oh yeah, do an and that's the thing. Yeah, the, there's also a question of like maybe those people are just not going to university because they just don't want to, and like nothing would change that. So that's like kind of also fair enough. University is not the be all and end all. It's not for everyone, and that's fine. And the, if you're pushing people to go to university, make sure you're pushing them because they actually want to go or mm. because you think it will better them, not just because university is seen as this like societal ideal. But the problem is if, if everybody from university is from more or less the same background, you miss out on a certain amount of diversity, you miss out... You oh, know, absolutely. Like, no, no, I think it's really important that they are pushing low-income backgrounds and like minority groups into universities. But also, I think we've reached a point where we... Especially the the college I went to, which was this quite like highly academic, where m- most people go to university and you're very much pushed into going to university. That's also wrong. Like, university isn't the best thing for everyone, and it shouldn't be sold, as it. Do you have a bit of music? Yeah, let's. Uh, let's start with yours. What have we got? Um, it's a song called "Actress" by Honeywire. We're not just playing that because you've got a hangover and you wanted something chilly. Because <laughs> it's well chilled, that. Yes, very chilled. It's like lo-fi. Lo-fi. Right, so mm. um, tell so me about let me t- Yeah, uh, so it's just one guy. He's called Caleb Slack. Um, and he's American uh, from Albuquerque, New, New Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> been there. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, where? It's not very really exciting. Um, when I was it's got a great name of the place. It's a lovely place. It sounds really... Sounds, sounds romantic. Really fantastic, but it's not. It's like I was on a Greyhound bus going across America uh, mm. a long time ago and went to uh, Albuquerque. It was sort of like a southwest route. And um, you think, oh, we're in Albuquerque, and it's just a Greyhound bus station and the same Walmarts and things that you find all over, you know, strip malls all mm. over America. It's no more romantic than, you know, Sponge Cake, Idaho or all these other places. It's just it's just a place. Yeah, he produced the majority of his music just in his bedroom and stuff. Um, and then that is from his debut EP, Honeywire, it was called. Um, and he's got a new one that came out in 2019 called Always In Sight. His newest album, he recorded all of it in Chicago. 
Uh, now, my piece this week, I've just uh, a late change, actually, in mine. I didn't realise we were allowed to just pick a new song. <laughs> yeah, I've picked a new one. So, have you heard of a lady called Dusty Springfield? I suspect you have. What have I done to deserve this? So how great is Dusty Springfield to start with? Great. Absolutely. Voice um, of a, not an angel. Good voice. Fantastic voice, fantastic voice, fantastic singer. Uh, and that was the song that sort of revived her career in the late 80s. Um, in, uh, I didn't know she was alive then. <laughs> yes, she was. She died in sort of mid to late 90s. Oh. Um, but her career just, she had the, all the hits in the 60s, which mm. you know, some of the Preacher Man, all that stuff, little by little. The, the thing about uh, Dusty, she was very big in the 60s with those songs, namely some of the Preacher Man mostly. But she was huge in the 1960s. And then she went through a very, very bad uh, phase from about the mid 70s onwards until the Pet Shop Boys revived her career. And that was her with the Pet Shop Boys. Mm. But the song, this is interesting. Interesting. The song was written by Ali Willis, who I told you about briefly because her death was reported uh, just at Christmas. Oh, yeah. Uh, she's a songwriter and wrote the song uh, I'll Be There For You, the theme from Friends. Which, in, did, yeah. did you know it wasn't an actual song? She just wrote it as a TV theme. It was uh, 45 seconds long. And then the uh, the Rembrandts, because it was so popular wow. on the TV show Friends, they wrote a full-length version. So it became a song. Oh. She, she just wrote it as a theme for uh, Friends. But she also wrote uh, Boogie Wonderland for the uh, Earth, Wind & Fire. Yeah. She wrote September for Earth, Wind oh, & Fire as well. Great she wrote song. songs for the play. Everyone wrote, loves that song. She wrote brilliant, brilliant songs. But reading her uh, obituary, you know how I love the obituaries in the paper? Mm. Um, Getting inspiration for yours. Well, yes, precisely. I I usually just look at the obituaries to see if I'm in there. If I'm not, I know it's safe to carry on for the day. Um, But she had a really interesting opera. She was born in Detroit, Michigan in uh, 1947. So she was a teenager in Detroit in the 1960s. Mm. What else was going on in Detroit in the 1960s? Riots. Riots, 70s more, or oh. late 60s. What was going on in Music. the early to mid-60s in Detroit? Motown. Correct. And apparently she, uh, well, I'll, I'll read you what it says. As a teenager growing up in Detroit, Ali, Ali Willis would sit on the lawn outside the Motown studio on West Grand Boulevard, listening in awe to the history being made inside by musicians such as Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye and Steve Wonder, etc., etc. And she took her inspiration from that and wrote these songs for Earth, Wind and Fire, uh, and that uh, one for the Pet Shop Boys and Dusty Springfield and everything, and obviously uh, they wrote so many fantastic things. She went initially to train in the University of Wisconsin in Madison as a journalist, and her dad wrote her a little note saying, stay away from black culture. He didn't want her... <laughs> oh my God! He wasn't in favour of her Motown inspiration yeah. and all that sort of thing. Um, and then she's quoted as saying, I got him back good, though, she said. <laughs> when he passed away in 2002, I got the last word because the very last thing I ever said to him, she says, I leant down and I whispered in his ear, 
I've just got the gig to write The Colour Purple. Uh, and she wrote the score for the musical of uh, of The Colour Purple. So, wow. uh, fantastic life. Mm, uh, very talented. She, incredibly talented. She studied journalism. Wow, this is um, this podcast is going to be... <laughs> it's, well, it's, it was... it's 20 minutes either end and then just 20 of you talking about Ali Willis. <laughs> well, it's a name it is that will disappear. And I just thought that's something that you'll know that some of your friends at university might not know. Um, and, you, you know, when you're at a party sometimes... So I like that. You didn't just say friends. You said friends at university because you're staying on brand. Correct. Uh, and, the, you know, you'll say, hmm, it's written by Ali Willis. Yeah, the next time you're watching Friends on Netflix, which I've noticed you're doing with quite a few of your chums recently, you can say, oh, Ali Willis wrote this. You make it sound like I've got way more friends than I actually do. <laughs> oh, I think you've got plenty of friends. But, uh, you know... And you'll Ali Willis wrote say, this. Did you know it was just a 45-second yeah. um, jingle and the Rembrandts picked it up? Mm, so, precisely. And all my friends will say, you're, yeah. you're a massive nerd and I um, oh, wasn't interested. And I think it's interesting with young people now. If you actually know something, you're thought of as a nerd. There was a um, enthusiasm. Back in my physics class in high school, there was a poster on the wall that had Simon Pegg and um, he, he did a quote about being a nerd and it was something like, I don't remember the whole thing, but it was like... Um, being a nerd is just another word for saying that you're you're open about what you're passionate about rather than keeping it rather than not saying anything and that's not quite it I'm paraphrasing but it actually has really stuck with me and made me think no I actually am passionate about this I will tell people and that's not yeah it's nerdy but that's good for you people be a nerd people also like if anyone would ever speak to me about something they're really passionate about even if I'm not interested I always am really love to hear about it like because if someone else loves something it's always nice Should we have a look at the uh, emails? What? Uh, not that many this week, but we have got a few. Uh, we're not going to win a Webby. Ah, uh, not going to win it. Ruth, this email says, "Just to me, just to you." I hope this finds you well! Exclamation point. And I'm saying exclamation point because it's from America, uh, so it's not an exclamation mark. To be honest, I thought they were just interchangeable. But no, no, the same thing. We call them exclamation marks. The Americans call them exclamation points. Didn't even realise that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, It says, uh, Ruth, I hope this finds you well. Our team contacted you earlier this season. After identifying Ruthie, me and my dad, the old title, after identifying Ruthie, me and my dad, as a company making great digital work, I wanted to send a reminder that this week marks the Webby Awards final entry deadline. We encourage you to submit your best work by this Friday, December the 20th. Oh, I think we've missed it. We might have missed it. WebbyAwards.com. However, uh, I thought probably we wouldn't get a Webby even if we entered because uh, it says um, last year's Webby Awards earned 12 billion media impressions from global media outlets including the New York Times Variety, the Washington Post uh, etc and when we look at uh, previous winners of the uh, Webbies, they're people like Spotify and Airbnb. Yes, uh, people like Spotify, Airbnb and I thought we weren't probably quite at that level yet no, no, maybe not. Give, give it time. Uh, Chris Sunderland uh, got in touch. Chris is a crony. He says, uh, for context, I'm the oldest of old cronies. I've been listening to Martin since the Radio Hallam days. Back in the so early 1800s. Yes, when I was in sixth form at school. I'm now in my That must make you feel 
Yes, oh. Does. oh no! He says I'm now in my late fifties. I've just listened to your podcast where you discussed Mario Kart and Twenty Four Hour Libraries. That's a bit of an old one, that, uh, as well as English accents in France. Uh, Ruth was asking what they sound like. That, do you remember you were saying yeah. what do what do they think we sound yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. I thought you might enjoy a brief anecdote. Brief anecdote. Yeah. Yeah, okay, here's his brief anecdote. When I had my first proper job, I was working for a large computer manufacturer, and my team leader was a French lady called Fabienne. I would occasionally try to converse with her in French. One day, she asked me where in the UK I was from. I told her, Doncaster. Then she (laughs) asked, so why do you speak French with a Scottish accent? So they think you're Scottish, basically, <laughs> with, with your Leeds accent, I suspect. I had another, I had a tweet from somebody asking uh, where, your sister Martha, who also has a Leeds accent. I don't like you speaking about her. <laughs> uh, who also has a Leeds accent. If you want to do the podcast with Martha, then go get Martha. Gosh. Uh, she's too busy. From second banana to Martha. Uh, but yeah, somebody, somebody did uh, send us uh, a tweet. Asking where is Martha? We've had a family argument. Where is Martha Kellner of Sky that TV? Is, don't you think where that's actually from? crazy that people would be arguing in another house about my where sister? It is unbelievable. So I did tell them she's from the beautiful garden city of Leeds. They said we're, we're all wondering whether she's from Birmingham or Liverpool. And I don't think I think Leeds. They is said Sheffield distinct. as well, but yeah. she doesn't sound nearly as Leeds as I do. Don't think so. No, no. she does on certain words like um, she said like no or something. The, the vowel. Uh, Michael Cohen sends us uh, an email as well. He says, Dear Martin and Ruth, uh, thanks for some entertaining chats in the middle of the night. So he's obviously listening <laughs> on uh, talk radio. He's actually commenting on literally, you know, me mm. being a bit of a grammar pedant. I don't like people saying, ah, oh, you were literally on fire. Or mm. it literally blew me away. Mm. He's directing me to... Uh, a message on uh, the internet where somebody says, uh, I literally had a heart attack. Well, Well, maybe they did. You don't know. Maybe they literally did have uh, a heart attack. He says, I think this supports the assertion that we should use literally in the correct way. So he doesn't see fewer and less. Because I said, just to catch people up, you know, if you're just tuning in, I said that literally has changed colloquially and we shouldn't have a go at people for saying, I was literally on fire, I was literally Mm. had a heart heart attack. Because it's kind of become a way of just saying like, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it has been a way of saying whoa. But if you say I literally had a heart attack, I think you do have to literally have had a heart attack. And one would suspect he would be in hospital and probably not right into the uh, podcast. So he literally had a heart attack. Well, no, he didn't literally no. have a heart attack. It was oh, someone. The guy wouldn't be putting messages on. Uh, no, maybe he, he had the heart attack. He was in remission or whatever, got out and then just felt the need to update the, the, the YouTube comment. Mm, unlikely. Another of those uh, reports that I've been reading is... Gosh, you are all over these reports. Well, I really, if, I, if ever I think that there's, there's something that's going to be uh, interesting to get your take on, I do look at it. And whenever I see a headline which says teenagers this, teenagers that, I used to cut it straight Oh, out. Dad, don't talk but to me You're not going to be a teenager this. this year. This is a big we thing. Were, you're going to be 20. Yeah, I had a friend 20. to sleep. No, I had, we were saying this, so I had a friend to sleep last night and we were just talking about, like... The new year this morning, yeah. and we're saying, as if we're twenty this year. That means that this time in ten years, just what's gone, is we're going to be thirty. Yeah, isn't it amazing the way that works? Twenty, no, and then in ten years you're thirty. Thirty. Yeah. I feel 
I mean, oh. apart from saying you feel old, but 20 is nothing, you realise that. It's nothing, but it also, you know, eek. I feel like it's this decade, or like even this year has ch- changed so exponentially. Like, I started this decade at primary school and I'm going into, I'm at university now. Like, that's such a massive change. But then you think about it, and I saw someone tweet that was like, most of the people who were born between like 1999 and 2004 or whatever, this like Gen Z, within the next decade, you'll be getting married and having kids. And like that, that just is ridiculous. Like a decade has gone really quick, I think. Mm. Although time speeds up as you get older, doesn't it? Time does speed up as you But even this year, like I look back on it and I start, this time last year, I hadn't even sat my A-levels and now I'm going into, and now I'm at university. Like that's just, it feels like this year has been two years in one really, or even three, like being at college the summer and university feels like just such different things Mm. well this report will still be relevant because it's not teenagers it's the 15 to 24 age Ah. yeah and apparently there's this guy who's uh who's an analyst and uh, a film producer and the uh, number of people 15 to 24 year olds going to cinemas gone down a heck of a lot Cinemas are now being urged to provide more social spaces and put sofas in their foyers, so nice, comfortable sofas, to address a 20% decline in young audiences. They could also publish the time a film really starts, so the actual start time, and finishes to help teenagers plan nights out, as I suggested. So no the 15... go- people aren't not going to the cinema because they're no. going on nights out. Like That's just... What are they on about? Did well, someone, like drop a bit of acid before they wrote this like what do you mean like you don't go to see a film before you go out or like you're not like "Mm, i'm going out tonight i'll go and see this film but what if it doesn't finish in time like have they ever participated in a conversation what well sorry i I feel like i've got very angry about this very trivial thing but just well, it does seem not Silly, odd to me, it? but they, you know, they've they've actually spoken to people to find out why they're not going to. They the must cinema. have spoken you, to one really weird person. You think so? Yeah. Well, they claim to have spoken to a lot more than one real, you know, really weird person. What they're saying is that cinema-going habits are formed young, this guy said. Uh, If the current generation of young people disengages with cinema-going in a big way, then it's unlikely they'll attend cinemas in the decades to come. But I think there's more... I'd don't. i be so sad if... Which you you started... Oh, I love the cinema. The cinema's like... The Hyde Park Cinema in Leeds is probably... With the York Sculpture Park, it's probably my favourite place on earth. And, like, we used to go every Saturday. And I do think, like, I love going to the cinema. Clifford the Big Red Dog. The movie. The movie. We saw Clifford the Big Red Dog. Those are some of, like, I loved, I remember really vividly seeing Spirited Away because that was one of the first films I saw that was, like, wow, this film is brilliant. Well, it was uh, probably the only Japanese film or foreign film that I'd seen at the time. It was, yeah. Yeah. But then I just remember that, like, because I love films as well. Like, I'm probably more of a film buff buff than I am a music buff. Mm. Um, And I just, I think that, like, going to see stuff, and you also would take me to see stuff that I was probably too young to actually see, but I think that's, like, the best. Like, I just... So yeah. you're unusual, you see, among the 15 to 24-year-olds, because cinema going... They need, I think, 15 to 24-year-olds, to get a passion for the cinema, need to be sort of taken at a fairly early age, mm. I, I would have thought. I'm very... I'm also very lucky, like, 
that you did take me and stuff. You know, I know that not everyone is, not everyone's dad would take them to the cinema. Not everyone no, but I'm a would be able to afford it and yeah. stuff. But like, yeah, I'm looking. At. Well, I have to say, just to disillusion you, very cheap. The Saturday night <laughs> What all this time? I thought this was cheap a... way of keeping you keeping you quiet. To be honest, no, but you know, you like stuff. we saw some great great movies. Um, some when you were little, really we saw some really awful ones. ones well, but... Clifford the Big Red Dog, for one. That was but, one of the better ones, I think. Uh, but we we saw the uh, Jim Carrey uh, movie, Lemony Snicket. Oh, a series of unfortunate events. That yeah. was one of the other ones, along with Spirit of the Way, that I would still say is like my favourite films. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a kid, it was. But you looked at it now, you probably. Oh no, Lemony Snicket. And Spirited Away, both films, I would happily watch over and over again now. Well, I, mean, I think one of the problems with the cinema is going to be Netflix, because I, I oh, yeah. watched The Irishman uh, and Marriage Story, both uh, released on... I mean, I still I've not seen The Irishman. But I just, I never focus on a film the way I do when I'm in the cinema. I think maybe people's homes are too comfortable because the the golden <laughs> wooden seats—that's what you need. <laughs> yeah, the golden age for cinema was sort of immediately post-war, mm. and that's when people's homes weren't that uh, weren't that comfortable. Yeah. They didn't have all the comforts at home. People people's TVs are really good, and now you can have like a smart TV as well. You can have yeah. Netflix on your big screen, like we've just got that for Christmas, like Netflix and Amazon Prime on the TV, and it is very tempting to just watch yeah. stuff at home. But then like. Oh, I just love the ritual of going to the cinema. You know how some people love re- having a record more for the just the like vinyl, the placement yeah. of the record of that, yeah, vinyl on the machine and stuff. I feel like that, but about going to the cinema. Yeah. It's true. It's these little things. I mean, mm. when I get, I'd up, be really sad if yeah. they. Well, they're declining. They're, they're sort of casting round for different ways to stop the mm. decline in attendance generally. And if they make all cinemas couches like the Everyman, I hate that couch. Oh, I hate too. it. I had to. I went. It to feels it. like. It also feels like you're. It's a couple. It's they've yeah. made the cinema just for like romantic yeah. couples or whatever. And I, I got the <laughs> really last annoying. seat at the Everyman in Baker Street, mm-hmm. which is uh, these sofas and things. And I had to sit on a sofa uh, with this other guy, and he didn't know. <laughs> so should, weird. Should we hold hands? Or <laughs> just my arm around. You know, it's just ridiculous. Because and he had some popcorn, and I was half expecting him to just offer Uppy, me some yeah. popcorn. But of course, uh, Very be, being London, he didn't. I mean, if he'd been up here. He probably would. We've been told we're not allowed to... Um, someone... I looked through the Apple, um, like, iTunes uh, reviews or whatever, comments, no. and one of them absolutely rinses us about um, saying <laughs> that London's shit. <laughs> um, I mean, that London's rubbish. Mm. Um, and he's like, if you like Leeds so much, why don't you just stay there? <laughs> <laughs> so Did I tell you about the... Um, anti-stemitic thing did i say that on the yeah did i say that on the podcast i can't remember i I, I brought it i'd written it down one week and then forgot to say it and then i think i told you about it but i can't remember i did but it's really funny so i'll tell you again um stem subjects are science technology engineering and maths science technology engineering and maths yeah so there's like there's a lot of rivalry between people who do stuff like i do in history and english or whatever and then the science people who think they're there's more yeah, yeah you know that's a real degree or whatever and so there was a bunch of people who were saying i have definitely said this on the podcast because 
one of the boys who I live with had like listened or seen the title of it and was like, you've used my bit on your thing. Oh, so we've uh, used it, we can't yeah. use it. But anyway, that's like, not Mickey Mouse subjects, but humanities versus sciences. Anti-Semitic is... Yeah. Uh, yeah, we remember it now from when we did it before. But it's nice to do it again. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, we've done a lot of these and it's getting hard. Yes, we have. You're absolutely right. Somebody did a survey about the subjects that people think, that students themselves think are the least worthwhile subjects. And some of them, they were talking about Mickey Mouse degrees. Mm. But I suppose if you're doing... We make fun of the girl who does drama. Make fun of that a lot. Yeah. We'll, well, she'll get back and we'll be like, for, yeah. how was the sandbox today or sandpit today? And the yeah. <laughs> well, the, these are some subjects that uh, students voted as the least important and valid subjects for a degree. You can do a degree in comedy writing and performance uh, can be taken at Salford University. And I would say that's probably, could be... But solely comedy writing. Solely comedy writing and performance. It's called, they call it here a a stand-up comedy degree, which is not really, it's a bit wider than that. Mm. But I would thought that seems to be to me, probably as valid as, say, one of those creative writing degrees they do at East Anglia University. It depends on how... Yeah. What yeah. I've heard overall about creative writing course, degrees, because I did kind of look into really doing one a bit. Um, I'm really glad I didn't. Yeah, yeah I looked at, if I was going to apply for one, I'd want the East Anglia one is meant to be brilliant. Uh, Kazuo Ishiguro went there yeah, and stuff. Right. Butchered his name. <laughs> anyway, uh, but what I've heard overall is that they're kind of not great. <laughs> Just not a good, it's not good to do it as a degree. Um, I guess it forces you to be to be writing all the time. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, you have these massive hand-ins of, like, loads of writing. Like, that is... And there's, there's another another degree that was high up the list of ones that students voted for as uh, not worthwhile, was Viking Studies. Yeah, uh, I'm with them. <laughs> oh, you're with them, you're in there. Uh, students uh, deemed the study of medieval and modern Scandinavian languages, Old Norse literature and medieval history to be the most pointless. But I would have no, thought... No, in fairness, like, I don't think that sounds very pointless. No, I went, well, you call nerd, it Viking that, that Studies. Is yeah, isn't it? That's we, there's that, but, yeah, archaeology, we... we yeah. It's a big one we like make fun of. Yeah, but as we applaud the nerd, we have to applaud. The, <laughs> that doesn't the sound. Degrees. When they call it Viking studies, it sounds way more stupid than it is because it's kind of just like classics. Yes. Or, or like no. Roman studies, which you wouldn't be like, oh, weird. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. You're I'm Viking. on board with the Viking studies. Hmm. Love you, the Vikings. Yes. But if you talk about Viking studies, it sounds like. Sort of <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. Well, it sounds like Game of Thrones yeah. or something like that. <laughs> Obviously, Game of Thrones, though, wasn't based on the Vikings. No, it wasn't. Based on the Wars of the Roses. It was based on the Wars of the Roses, wasn't it? Mm. And you're a big fan. Of the Wars of the Roses? No, Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Yeah. I was going to talk I've about got some questions for bit. you. Of course you have. Tell me about these questions you Well, I don't me. like this building up to well, this. Well, we did it on the other podcast. Malarkey. Yeah. Um, I've got three questions for you, Dad. Okay. What have you learnt this decade? I did 10 things I've learnt in the first term of uni. What have you learnt this decade? 
do you think? This decade, I mean, obviously, I've sort of stopped learning stuff to a large extent. Well, when you know it all. (laughs) Yeah, but it's reinforced me the view, and I think I might have said this to you before, that uh, nothing matters very much, and most things don't matter at all. Wow, we've gone full nihilistic then. Yeah, well, it, it was a quote from a guy called Arthur Balfour, who was a British politician. I know, Balfourites. Yeah, and the Balfour Declaration, which mm. created the State of Israel. So he yeah. he was a sort of early 20th century British politician. Did study him a bit. Yeah, well, I used to work, well, this shows you how old I am, I worked with his, it might have been a great nephew, but it was somebody who was uh, quite, yeah, with he was called Ewan Balfour and worked with me in the 19... 19- early 1970s when I was a, a newspaper mm. reporter in Bristol but I was always struck by what this What was the quote again? The Sorry. quote is nothing matters very much and most things don't matter at all now he was saying it in relation to politics, it struck me as being particularly uh, interesting in this year of Brexit, yeah. uh, or sorry this decade of Brexit and a couple of general elections, Yeah. because I just thought the amount of hatred being spewed out by both sides yeah. really and the amount of uh, we don't know whether it's true or not true. Are we are we heading to hell in a handbasket? We may be, we may mm. not be. And it struck me that what was more damaging than anything that might happen as a result of Brexit and as a result of the Tories being in again, what was more damaging than any of that was the dialogue, especially on uh, social media, which yeah. there's been more and more of. I think um, when there's something like climate change... I think that puts into perspective. I think climate change is is obviously much more important. But I think if we took a bit of the hysteria out of it... I disagree with the climate change. I I think the hysteria is necessary. I think when... have you seen the, the... But do you think not Greta Thunberg, maybe, when she is really strident, I mean, you know, I applaud her in many ways, but when she's really strident, says, how dare you? How dare you? I disagree, I think. I think the time for... I think the time for polite activism has passed. I think we're we're at the Greta Thunberg rage point. Yeah. Especially when you're my age. Oh, well, she's 16. She's slightly more impressive than I am, I'd say. No, um, no, no. <laughs> but do you I think, think she, no, I think when but, it comes to climate change, I think she's dead on. I think... And I, I admire her ability. I couldn't do it, but she will be making people feel uncomfortable because they should feel uncomfortable Mm. and she will sit there and say i'm not going to make this easy for you i'm not going to do the polite thing i'm saying i'm absolutely do you think she should maybe it would have been more effective to do the polite thing in that the people who have to make the big changes stop going on holidays because that's going to be a big change stop Mm. you know flying anywhere they fancy on holiday stop going on cruise ships stop driving their cars on short journeys those people tend to be people who might find the you know the how dare you and all that um, i also think that like it's not her responsibility to be to not be off-putting no i mean she can do what she wants but you know i understand like for the cause or whatever but there's plenty of people who do it like that and it hasn't really worked people haven't really changed their lifestyles in any considerable ways so what are your other questions for me what changes do you see between now and 2010 Oh, right, what changes have I seen in the last decade? Yeah, in the last decade. Not what changes do I foresee in the coming decade? What do you, when you look back? Well, I would say it's it's almost entirely social media. Instagram followers, YouTube and all that, much, much more important. And so conventional media is being slowly whittled away and it's now uh, YouTube 
YouTube mm. and Instagram and all that. And then my final question for you is, what do you think the world will look like in 2030 versus what do you want it to look like? What are you hoping for? Well, 2030, uh, from my point of view, is very <laughs> that might be, we, you know, we're getting to the, uh, to the end game here, but 2030... What do you hope it looks like for me? <laughs> what I hope it looks like for you is, I hope people will take on board the message that we want to be driving our cars less, yeah. we want to be going on fewer holidays, flying, but I'm quite, I'm quite sort of sanguine about the... Ooh, sanguine? Uh, yes, about the, te- <laughs> the technological skills people will have uh, to make the changes that are needed, uh, and also the fact you know socially these changes might be needed and just today in this morning's paper uh, york your very own city where you're at university is poised to become the first city in britain to ban private cars under the toughest measures yet to combat congestion and pollution uh, which i think is brilliant uh, all non-essential vehicle journeys into the medieval city center would end within three years under a plan approved by the by the council uh, obviously public transport has to be made better and uh, again this is me i'm fully optimistic about this and i think you know boris will help. oh i don't i think don't speak will, his name <laughs> He's a, he's a travel, you know, travel is it's his like thing. Like Voldemort. Travel is his thing. Yeah. And he did um, make the tubes better in London when he was uh, mayor. Of, and the tubes in London are fantastic. Nobody with any sense at all would, would drive a car into the centre of London now. Mm. Uh, and uh, hopefully that will happen. Somebody will have to progress that net. Well, I think Boris probably as good as anybody else for, do, for doing that. So I'm sort of fairly optimistic that people will change their ways i might be wrong or that you know some technological you, so you think in 2030 i think 2030 burst into flames I think, yeah i'm saying 2030 we'll still be going finally dad um i'll just tell you what my little meme is but it's not a meme it's a tweet that i saw and i'm just gonna read that because it was funny hmm forgot that mum thing mums do where they leave things on the stairs for you to take up with you just constant neat little piles see a paracetamol pack an off-brand phone charger and an empty water bottle on a stair and you know a mum has been here excellent excellent before we go uh, just we forgot to do because so long since we've done one uh, f- apart from the one we did yesterday which didn't work out if you want to get in touch with us on uh, email, yeah, we always do that at the end no, we sometimes do it after we've read the emails. Yeah, sometimes we yeah. do. So here we are. This, this is getting a bit meta now. We're <laughs> discussing how we do it, etc. We're destroying the fourth wall. If you um, want to get in touch with us. Brechtian of us. Very Brechtian. Right. If you want to get in touch with us, can. Uh, we'd love to get your emails. It's, it's. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. We'd love to get your emails. It's Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. That's Martin and Ruth Podcast at gmail.com. And while you're online, you can also go over to Spotify where the songs from this week will be there in full and all the other songs from all the other weeks. So you can give that a listen. Excellent. We'll see you again maybe next week or the week after. Yes. Bye.